we began uh, this series together uh, to really uh, take a look at um, the fact that justice matters. And we're going to kind of conclude our time in this series this week. Um, we, we started this off by taking a look at the Bible Project's explanation of uh, what biblical justice actually looks like. And over the past couple of weeks, our goal has been to remind ourselves what, uh, what the Lord requires of us. And looking at Micah 6.8 Uh, we're reminded that for us, uh, we are to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before our God. And so uh, a couple weeks ago, we we started this in reverse. We said, we're going to walk humbly with our God. That if we can't get that figured out, if we don't understand what it means to walk humbly in our relationship with God and with our relationship with the, uh, with each other, the reality of any sort of justice taking place, any sort of reconciliation taking place is going to be non-evident uh, because we have to be a people of humility. Uh, and then last week we talked about what it looks like to love mercy and uh, and the importance of inviting the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit to bring unity among all people. Uh, that if we are going to be a people who uh, are not just reconciled, but, but living in unity and fighting the spiritual battles that we are faced up against, uh, that it's going to require a manifest presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And today we're going to close that verse out uh, with the do justly part of this. And I, I want to I talk about that. I'm going to briefly talk about what, what does that mean? What does it mean to act justly in some translations or to do justly? Uh, what does that mean for us just in, in our everyday lives? And then I, I want to I talk to us a little bit about uh, something that I feel like the Lord's put on my heart and why we are struggling so much in the midst of everything that's going on in our world and what's happened in the last four months or so. So what does it mean to do justly? When you act justly, it means that you are impartial. As disciples of Jesus, acting justly means that we're making fair decisions. We're We're making fair decisions in our business life, in our personal lives, in our relationships, that we we are constantly looking for impartiality towards people. Uh, In James chapter 2, 1 through 4, it says this, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, we must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand here or you sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? See, James instructs us not to show favoritism to people that we would maybe see as, as like us. That he, he says, I, I don't want you to show favoritism to the beautiful, to the important, to the rich people. And I, I would argue that uh, in a lot of cases when there's people that we maybe relate to better, we often will show favoritism in that. And so the question for us is, do we show courtesy to uh, 
to those people who are different than us. And I recognize that even in, in saying that and communicating that, there's probably something within our filters of you hearing me talk about uh, racial things because of what's going on in our country. And really, all I'm saying is that we are to show no, uh, we are to show impartiality towards people, towards all people. Maybe we could address this in our own lives by saying, do we show more courtesy to a well-dressed businesswoman than we do to a homeless man? See, God stamps his image on every human being. And I would just acknowledge the truth that, that I want to treat all people with dignity. The second thing that acting justly or doing justly is that we are accurate. Truthful living means that I refuse to exaggerate to make myself look better by my actions. Right? To prove that I, I, I'm, as, uh, I'm better than I really am. I, I deceive only myself when I try to rationalize my decisions or my behaviors. I, I see this, sadly, in the church all the time. And you've probably kind of heard rumors about this that, uh, you know, pastors are notorious for fudging the numbers a little bit. You know, you'll get into a group of other pastors and they're like, Oh, uh, you know, what's, what size church do you pastor? And, and it's kind of like um, fishermen getting together and sharing the size of their fish, right? It's like, well, you know, I pastor a church of six, 700 people, and it's like, oh, well, that's, a, that's a good size church. And in reality, it probably is about 200, but because they haven't updated their database in 20 years, they've got 600 people in their database, uh, and so I'm always, I always underestimate because I don't ever want to be accused of trying to, um, to, to put myself out there in a way that, is be- that makes myself look better than it really is. In some ways, I probably uh, at times undervalue things. The truth is, is that if we are going to be a people who walk justly, who, who act justly, who do justice, then we're a people who are truthful about the things in our life. The third thing is that we're lawful. That God establishes governing authorities. And this is going to be a hard one for many of us to hear right now, but this just comes from Romans chapter 13 where it says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. In other words, he commands us to obey both the rules of the land and the rules of Scripture and the rules of the road, even. I think that's a hard one for me. I, uh, I have this... Uh, our auto insurance is through State Farm, and they gave me, they sent me this thing. I think it's probably because I may or may not have had a couple of tickets, and uh, they sent me this little uh, sensor that goes in my car, connects to my phone, and every time I drive, it's some sort of safe driving nonsense that's out there as if I'm not a safe driver. Um, but it's supposed to save me money on my insurance, but what it does is it monitors everything. I don't even know how it does it. It's, it's voodoo magic stuff that the insurance companies have concocted with the devil. But uh, it, 
it monitors my speed. It monitors how fast I break. It monitors whether or not I'm on my phone. Come on. You know, like I'd be on my phone. Uh, and, and then what it does is it sends you reports of how well you're doing. And, and right now I'm, I'm, I'm getting a B. And I don't like it uh, because uh, I don't like um, obeying the rules of the road. Um, but that's been put into place. And as Christ followers, we have this interesting responsibility to be a people who actually live lawful lives. And when we do justly, when we act justly, we do step into things and we obey the laws of the land. And that's what's really, honestly, for me, I'll, I'll tell you that I have, uh, this has been a huge struggle for me as to what do we listen to when our political leaders who we may agree with or don't agree with are asking us to do stuff and not do stuff. And it's like, how do we respond to all of this? And I would just continue to come back to Romans chapter 13 where it says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. Doesn't mean we like it. It doesn't mean we even agree with it. But it does mean that we don't rebel against it. The, th the fourth thing is that we're righteous. To do justly means to live righteous life. The Bible provides for us a moral standard. It defines for us what's right and what's wrong. The words and the actions of of a person of integrity align with God's truth and, and what he or she does that, that, that's right. Even when no one is watching, like they're living out their life in a life of integrity and righteousness. That they do it even when it costs them things, it costs them something, as we talked about last week with the, the Good Samaritan. See, acting justly requires action, not just talk. Because what I've discovered over the last couple of months, or really over the last four or five weeks, is that just speaking about injustice, whatever that injustice is, whether it's human trafficking or abortion or displaced people or racism or uh, whether it's economic injustice, whatever the case, if all we do is just talk about it, it really... It may appear as though I'm caring, but words do nothing to ease the pain of those who are actually suffering. That there's something about the word in Micah 6.8 that says, act justly, do justly. There's an action part of what it means to walk this out in our life. Biblical justice is never divorced from acts of love and mercy. See, doing justly simply means that we do what's right. That we treat people right. That we, we adhere to the biblical truth that we do unto others as we would have them do to us. And interestingly, even non-believers, people who are not Christ followers, will do that. They will, uh, they, at times, they will do unto others as they would have, the, have them do unto them. But it's oftentimes when it doesn't cost them something. 
The real test is when we have to pay a personal price to do the right thing. To do justly means that I don't take advantage of other people, especially those who are weak and defenseless. See, the Bible has a lot to say about how we treat the fatherless, how we treat the widow. We are called to be a people that care for other people, that care for one another. That's what it means to act justly, to, to, to humble ourselves and to put ourselves and our agenda and our ways aside and to care and to love people. But here's the challenge. In order to truly care for others, in order to love our neighbors as ourselves, it will require forgiveness. Because people hurt us. People offend us. People do things that go against our belief system. People do things that, uh, that we, we deem as wrong. And, and if we look at Scripture, at times they are wrong. And so the truth is, is that there is a level of forgiveness that's going to be necessary for us to even walk justly. To do justly will require forgiveness in our hearts. For there to be reconciliation in our life, and that's the thing that we, that's the theme that we are hearing over and over. We need to have reconciliation. We need to, to come together. Well, the reality is, is that if any reconciliation is going to happen, it's going to come through forgiveness. And I know this because that's how we are reconciled to our God. We're reconciled to our God through his forgiveness of us. Let me pose another challenge to us that the reason we struggle with forgiveness and as a pastor over the years, I've I've always um, recognized that forgiveness for humanity is very difficult. Because of hurt, because of pain, forgiveness just across the board is difficult. And I've often thought that it's difficult because uh, because it's so closely related to relationships and things that have been done to us and all of that. But I've just I've come to the conclusion over the last couple of weeks that forgiveness is just a problem in general. It just is a, it's a difficult thing for any of us, whether we're Christ followers or, or not. It, forgiveness is one of those things that is so difficult to address in our lives. And the reason I think that it is such a struggle, the reason we struggle with forgiveness, the reason we struggle with everything that's going on in this world that we live in, really has more to do with a lordship issue. What I mean by that is that we have, a, we have allowed our problems to overshadow our God. See, all we, can, all we can see is, in front of us is a pandemic. All we can see is, is racial inequality. All we can see are the problems of this world. All we can see are socioeconomic differences. All we can see is political differences. And, and what's happened is we've taken our God and we've set him off to the side and we've focused on the problems of the world. 
Instead of allowing our God to be in his rightful place and to be well within our view and allow the lordship of who he is define everything else in our life. It's up to us to make sure that God is in his rightful place. Because what we hear and what we are seeing in our world today is humanity's response to try to solve spiritual problems. That we have a world who is seeking desperately to adjust our politics, to adjust our systems and our structures. And when that is our response to how we are going to address sin in this world, I will tell you that we will not act justly. We will not love mercy. We will not walk humbly before our God. See, when we respond out of our humanity, it's to respond with a self-righteousness. It's to respond with a judgment towards others. It's a response of animosity towards those who think differently than us. But when our God is the center of our life, when all we can see is our Lord, when He is bigger than all of our problems, then we will respond accordingly to His ways. It's not that this is anything new. In fact, this was going on with the disciples. If you were to look, and I'm just going to apologize in advance to our tech team. I, uh, my message has changed about four times in the last 24 hours, so some of the verses they won't have. Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Jesus is talking to the disciples, and this is what he says. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? He's like, I don't think that that word means what you think that it means. You, you keep saying that I'm your Lord, but you're not doing any of the things that I'm asking you to do. And there are many that, that, that just in this life and what, what we're discovering through all of this chaos is I believe that God is disrupting the comfortability of our Christianity. It, that we are in a place where we are having to be challenged. Our, our minds are being offended and it's revealing what's going on in our hearts in such a way that we are actually having to, to reevaluate. Is Jesus Lord of my life or is he not? I think for many of us, we... If we're not careful, we are comfortable having a Savior. We're, we're comfortable having someone who's just, that's going to give me a soft landing when everything's over, when, when this world's over. For a lot of Christians, we just, we want the, the insurance of a Savior. But when our end comes... What we have done on this earth, how we have responded, how we've come under the lordship of who he is, will be the thing that makes a difference. That's what lordship is. It's coming under the covering 
of his protection. It's not just attending church. Lordship is not coming to church. It's not watching online. It's not giving. Lordship is humbling ourselves and coming under the protection and the covering of our God. A few, quite a few weeks ago now, we've, we had a uh, massive hailstorm here in San Antonio. And uh, uh, we happened to be out in the midst of this hailstorm, and we had happened, our, our previous car's transmission went out on us, and so we had to kind of make a quick decision. We bought a new car, and, uh, and it's all shiny and new, and, uh, and we happened to be in the HEB parking lot on Wilderness Oak when this hailstorm is coming. And I got a text from a friend in the church who's uh, in the roofing business, and so he was super excited about it. Uh, but he was saying, uh, you, you might want to uh, make sure your cars are inside. I'm like, well, I'm in the HEB parking lot. And so my wife is in there. It's raining like crazy, and the hail just starts coming, and it's dinging my car. And, and, and so we're parked under a tree, but it's still hitting us. And so we were like, we don't know what to do. And, uh, and so... She gets in the car, she jumps in the car, and we, and we, I mean, we drove safely but quickly uh, down Wilderness Oak, and, uh, and my son was here at the building, and down in our kids' wing, uh, we have the double glass doors. I said, open up the doors, baby, and I just pulled the car right into the hallway of our church. It's brilliant, right? Uh, I don't know, I mean... I, I, I didn't ask permission, and I don't even know who I would ask permission of to do it, but I just did it, and uh, didn't damage anything, but I preserved our car because there was shelter there, and, and any potential damage that would have come our way was avoided because we pulled under the, the shelter. We, got, uh, we came in from the shelter of the storm. There's a Bob Dylan song, too. It's a little bit different meaning. What it means to come under the Lordship is to be in, in, in the protection and the covering. If you want, there's no shortcuts out of the storm other than in, in the protection of the shelter of our God. That when we have placed Him in the midst of the storms that we are in, when He is in His rightful place and His covering is there, we could walk in the confidence of knowing that we're going to get through this. But if it's not, and if we've stepped out from under that covering, we're going to get pelted, and it's going to hurt. And we're going to find ourselves in such a hurt place that we won't be able to forgive. And because we won't be able to forgive, we won't be able to reconcile. And because we won't be able to reconcile, we won't have unity. And because we won't have unity, we will go on perpetuating this world of sin. In my life, I've discovered, and it's not been easy discoveries, but in my life I've discovered that there is nothing outside of His Lordship. Meaning there is nothing outside of His covering that's ever brought me peace. And that's what we want, isn't it? We want peace. We want, we want to live through this life. We want to go through this life and we want to experience what it is to have peace. And it's possible to have peace in the midst of storms. It's possible to have peace when we're under the shelter and protection of our Lord. 
Matthew 6, 33 says, but seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these other things will be added to you. You know what the other things are? If you go previous in the passage, it it says that he's referencing things like you worry about clothes and you worry about what you're going to eat. You worry about your money. You worry about all of this other stuff. And he's just saying, stop worrying about all of those things, come under the, under the headship and the lordship of God, and all of those things will be added to you. That is his promise. It doesn't mean your life is always easy. It doesn't mean there won't be ways in which the enemy will try to attack you. But it does mean that you can walk in the confidence of not who you are, but who he is. Romans 14 says that if we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or we die, we belong to the Lord. I wonder if that's our hearts in the midst of this storm that we find ourselves in, is that are we comfortable and confident just living for the Lord? Or are we going to do everything that we can out of our own humanity, out of our own knowledge, out of our own willpower to try and fix a system that is not going to be fixed without God in it? This is a promise to every one of us here this morning. It comes from Isaiah chapter 32. It says that the fruit of righteousness... The fruit of righteousness, that, and I would just put in there, acting justly. The fruit of acting justly in your life. The fruit of, of lordship, the fruit of putting God in his rightful place and walking out that lordship in your life in a just way will be peace. That's the promise. The fruit of righteousness will be peace. If you're looking for peace in your life, maybe it's a lordship issue. The effect of righteousness will be quietness and confidence forever. How many of you would just enjoy a little quietness today? And I'm not talking about isolation or being alone. I'm just saying, in the noise of the world that we live in, wouldn't it be nice to experience a little quietness? Wouldn't it be nice to have the confidence that no matter what happens in this life, no matter what happens to this world, to this country that we are living in, that we can have confidence, not in us, not in our government, not in our politics, but we can have confidence forever in our Lord. You can submit your marriage to him. You can bring your marriage under the lordship of who he is. You can bring your your finances under the lordship of who he is. You can submit your fear to the Lord. And the result will be, it goes on to say, that my people, that's us. If you're a Christ follower, that's us. That my people will live in peaceful dwelling places. That my people will live in secure homes and in undisturbed places of rest. Full confession, I've not been sleeping well. 
not been sleeping well. I've been, been wrestling at night with decisions that have to be made. Been wrestling with, with how do we balance this, this idea of, of racism in our country with the truth of God's word. And, you know, there's a, there's a saying that says, um, you can't please everyone. Right? And, and I would say that in the last three to four months, it should be, you can't please anyone. The truth is, is that there's been decisions that, have, that are needed to be made, and it's, it's causing disturbed places of rest in my life. And as I was preparing for this morning, I just had to pause for a second and say, have I... Have I mistakenly stepped out of the the covering and the protection of the lordship of my God and tried to make decisions out of my own humanity, out of my own knowledge? Am I trying to make decisions based upon models and input? And am I making decisions based upon the news and social media and all of this stuff? And maybe what I need to do is just remind myself that this isn't, this isn't about me. I can come under the lordship of my God and I can live confidently and in the peaceful dwelling place. I can be secure in the fact that whatever happens and whatever takes place, he's in control. And maybe then I get some rest. See, reconciliation, which is the theme that we've been talking about, we handed out the books on Roadmap to Reconciliation. It's a fantastic book, so practical, and I hope that you'll read it. I hope that you'll, you'll grab hold of it. Reconciliation doesn't necessarily just begin with people reconciling. It begins, our recon- it begins with the reconciliation with our God. And by the way, reconciliation isn't just for us. I believe that reconciliation, I believe that forgiveness, when forgiveness takes place and reconciliation happens, that that, that is God's movement to transform the world. It's his, it's his way in which people, when they recognize it, when they see it, something happens inside of them and they're like, yes, that's right. They may not know anything about our God, but when they see reconciliation take place, there's something inside of us that says yes. This is for the sake of people, all people on this earth, that we can flourish as Christ followers. We can live in peace with one another, not because we have somehow cracked the code of reconciliation in this world, except for the fact that we've come under the lordship of our God. Reconciliation happens when there is forgiveness, and forgiveness happens when there is lordship. And I believe that when there is lordship, we will experience unity. When there is lordship, we will experience peace in our life. I want to give you, I want to show you a video. I I told the guys in the back that uh, I wasn't sure if I was going to show it. I didn't know if I'd have time. I wasn't sure if I was going to change my message when I got up here, but it's a, it's a short video that um, 
that really explains what I'm talking about when it comes to the fact that when we realign our lives under the Lordship of God, how forgiveness and unity can take place. Go ahead and take a look at this. From Steve Hartman, On the Road. It all went down on this block in Benton Harbor, Michigan. Back in 05, Jamel McGee says he was minding his own business when a police officer accused him of and arrested him for dealing drugs. You saying the officer made it up? Yeah, it was all made up. Of course, a lot of accused men make that claim, but not many arresting officers agree. So you phonied the report? I did, I falsified the report. This is former Benton Harbor police officer, Andrew Collins. Were you just trying to chalk up an arrest? Yeah, basically, the start of that day, I was gonna make sure I had another drug arrest. And in the end, you put an innocent guy in jail? Correct. Yeah. You lost everything. I lost everything. My only goal was to seek him when I got home and to hurt him. Really? That was my goal. Eventually, that crooked cop was caught, served a year and a half for falsifying many police reports, planting drugs and stealing. Of course, Jamal was exonerated, but he still spent four years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. Today, both men are back here in Benton Harbor, which is a small town, maybe a little too small. Hey guys, thank you. Last year, by sheer coincidence, they both ended up at Mosaic, a faith-based employment agency where they now work side by side in the same cafe. Oh, excuse me. And it was in these cramped quarters that the bad cop and the wrongfully accused had no choice but to have it out. And I said, honestly, I have no explanation. All I can do is say I'm sorry. And Jamel says that was all it took. That was pretty much what I needed to hear. Today, they're not only cordial. Saturday, we went to the trampoline park. They're friends. Uh, you know, we talk about life. Such close friends. Not long ago, Jamel actually told Andrew he loved him. And I just started weeping because he doesn't owe me that. Uh, he, I don't deserve that, you know? Did you forgive for his sake or for yours? No, for our sake. Not just us, for our sake. Jamel went on to tell me about his Christian faith and his hope for a kinder <laughs> mankind. He wants to be an example. So now he and Andrew give speeches together about the importance of forgiveness and redemption. I'll grab this one, set it over there. And clearly, if these two guys from the coffee shop can set aside their bitter grounds, what's our excuse? Steve Hartman, on the road, in Benton Harbor, Michigan stirs up inside of us when we see what biblical justice, forgiveness, and redemption looks like. That when we see biblical reconciliation, not because it's out of some sort of social agenda or some other man-designed attempt, but when we find ourselves, and that's exactly what, what Jamal and his friend did, is they came into a relationship with God. And of course, you know, the news isn't going to cover all of the in-depth parts of the relationship with God, but I can guarantee you that without that relationship with God, without putting Him 
as Lord of our life, there is no forgiveness. There is no reconciliation. There is no unity and there is no redemption. Let's pray.